So today I'm going to be preaching from the book of Luke, uh, but from next week we are pausing to talk about sex and gender. And uh, I wanted to just make a note of that. Uh, particularly, I was planning on doing a, a panel, but I think time is really short today. And so I'm glad that we're not doing a panel. But I really want to encourage you. You should come to church every single week, but I really encourage you to not miss the next four weeks because the issues around sex, sexuality, and gender are monumental in, in our lives and the moment that we're living in. And we really need to understand what God wants for us as believers. And even more importantly, because I think many times we do understand what God wants, but to be equipped as a church as to how to reach the age that we live in. And so I really want to encourage you to start getting excited and to also not miss any of the community group meetings during those four weeks, because on a Sunday we'll be preaching, but during the week you'll actually get a chance to, to talk it through with others. And if you're not in a community group, come and speak to myself, come speak to Rob, come speak to Sitabila, and we'll help you to connect, because I think more of the heavy lifting will be done even in the week as you actually get to talk it through as to what does this look like in our lives. So I want to encourage you to not miss uh, out on any of that, we really want to see the church growing forward and being equipped during this time. Amen. So if you could open your Bibles to the book of Luke, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, uh, and we'll pause for four weeks and we'll jump back into Luke. But uh, I've entitled the message, uh, uh, my message today, The Problem of Pain, and uh, you'll see why I say that uh, as we get to what Jesus has to say. So let's read uh, 17 verses, and then we'll make some application from it. There were some presents at the very time who told him, told Jesus, there were some people around Jesus, and they told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. All the 18 of those whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit from this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it, let it alone this year also. Leave it for another year until I dig around it and put some manure. And then if it bears no fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now while he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, and she could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately, do you notice the contrast? 18 years she was bent over. Immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. I mean, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? He said to people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. 
And then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each one of uh, each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey uh, from the manger and lead it away f- to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he, as he said these things, all the adversaries, his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Our, our passage today, these 17 verses, contains four quite disjointed stories. There's not like one very clear theme. It seems like four disjointed events. And I've been asking the question this week, why did Luke put them together so tightly in these four, uh, 17 verses? We have, just to remind you, we've got a violent, sinful act by a political leader, Pilate. We have a fatal accident where a wall, uh, the part of the wall of Jerusalem falls at the Pool of Siloam and 18 people die. We don't know whether that was an earthquake, a natural disaster, or whether it was poor, poor workmanship. We have a parable about an unfruitful fig tree and a warning about God's kind. The doctor, Luke, calls account of a woman who has a disability that the doctor, Luke, calls a disability that's brought on by the devil, and Jesus obviously said the same. Now, I'm not wanting to depress you, but if you look at those four disjointed stories, and if you look at life itself, you'll know that it's not a matter of whether you will suffer, but rather when. There is suffering in this passage. There are people who are dying, there's people who are bound by Satan, and there's the threat of suffering coming to another group of people. Pain and suffering are a common human experience. In fact, you could say that in every age, uh, in every culture, in every time, in every era, people have all suffered. It's something that actually unites us. Our common human experience is that we will suffer. It's not if you'll suffer, it's merely when and how. And so I want us to learn from these verses about the problem of pain. And I want us to learn that we have a Savior in the problem of pain. We have someone whom we can turn to. And we will close our meeting today reminding ourselves of what Jesus has done and the remarkable way He entered our pain as we take up communion together. So I want to make three points today. And my first point is this. It's that we are meaning makers. Human beings like to make meaning of the experiences we go through. And so that leaves us with a bit of a problem because when you are a meaning maker and if you add a meaning maker to trouble or hardship or suffering, if you're not careful, you can end up with trouble times two. You can end up with double your trouble. What do I mean by that? Well, whenever we go through things, you know what it's like, I know what it's like, we ask the question, why? Do we not do that? Are you guys alive this morning? Just do this on your neighbor's throat. Just check that there's a pulse, because we might need to resurrect them. We, when we go through stuff in life, we ask why. We try to assign meaning to the circumstances that we're experiencing, all the circumstances of those around us. And if you've been with people for any length of time or you've listened to yourself, we often reach wrong conclusions and therefore we double our trouble. We trouble our trouble because of what we're thinking. This is how this works. You have something happen to you. 
So you stub your toe. There's the thing that happened to you. I stubbed my toe. There's some sort of suffering. And then there is the way that we react to our suffering or we think about our suffering. I can't believe I stubbed my toe. Can you see I've now got two problems. I've got a sore toe and I've got an irritated mind thinking, I can't believe I stubbed my toe. Why has this happened to me? Because you didn't open your eyes. Can you see how human beings end up, if we're not careful, having something that we're going through and then we end up adding to our suffering how we're thinking about our suffering, what we feel about it. And this is exactly what was happening to the people that were gathered around Jesus in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, recounts the fact that there were two things that had happened in, in Jerusalem and around these people. The one thing was in Galilee, the one thing was in Jerusalem. There were two horrific incidents that happened, and the people were trying to work out why did this happen. They were trying to assign meaning and interpret from it. And so the two things that had happened was that there's not a lot in history about this, but it seems like Pilate, the same Pilate who condemned Jesus, had murdered some people in a temple or a synagogue while they were bringing their sacrifices. And so the way the Jewish people phrased it is that he had mingled their blood with the blood of sacrifice. Does that make sense? That two, two bits of blood were spilt. And this was an anathema that this would happen while people were worshiping the living God. And so people were perplexed, saying, they must have done something really bad. That must be the meaning. Something really bad must have happened for this to have happened. And then another thing happened that a part of the wall of Jerusalem at the Pool of Siloam fell and crushed 18 people and was most likely a natural disaster. It was most likely an earthquake. And because of this, people were like, why did this happen? What, what was causing this to happen? When we try to assign meaning to things, it's you're normally applying some thinking. You're applying what you could call a mental map. You've, you've got a map in your mind, and, and you assign a meaning based on that. Many people have got this mental map in their minds. It's okay if bad things happen to bad people. Have you got that map in your mind? You're not that sad when something bad happens to a bad soccer team, like an own goal. <laughs> Have you ever watched a movie? If you didn't catch it, don't worry. If you're a pirate supporter. No, no, no. If you ever watched a movie and you've, you've caught yourself thinking, yes, get him, get him, and you actually want someone who's bad to be dead. Isn't murder wrong? There is something, there's a mental map in us that it's okay if bad things happen to bad people. But there's something inside of us that says that only good things should happen to good people. I'd love to hear what you think is a good person or why you put yourself in that category. That's another whole sermon, okay? But do you, do you know what I'm talking about? We've got this mental map that it's okay if bad things happen to pirates, people. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm really joking, okay? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? But when, uh, when something bad happens to a good person like me, <laughs> however, even though we've got that sort of thinking in our mind, we know that our thinking contradicts our experience because bad things happen to good. Bad thing happens to a good person, we ask this question, 
which is exactly what the people around Jesus were asking. What did they do wrong that caused this wrong to happen to them? Are you following me? Do we do these things? There's an example of this in Scripture. Some of us studied the book of Job for just over a month last year on Sunday evenings, and Job's friends were running the same mental map that bad things can happen to bad people, but they don't happen to good people, or they shouldn't. And so when really terrible things happened to Job and his family, his friends thought, there's something bad you haven't told us about, because that's why this has happened to you. And because of that, they were terrible friends to Job. Because actually the Bible tells us that Job was blameless. Jesus knew that the people that were around him were thinking exactly like you and I actually think as well. So Jesus actually said this. This is what he says. He says, won't you put it up there, Tessa? He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse? These ones who had their blood mixed with the blood of their sacrifices. Do you, do you think that they were worse? They, there must have been people saying, oh, oh, they must have done something really bad. And so this is why God did this to them. Do you think they were worse than all the others because they suffered in this way? And then he says the same thing. Do you think that the, the people who the wall fell on were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus twice in both of the next word, in both of those uh, lines, Jesus says, no, that's not what happened here. No, verse 3 and verse 5. This is not what happened in either instance, is what Jesus says. Basil 1, not all the pain and suffering in our lives is because of sin and because God is punishing me. As a pastor, Rob would say the same. How many times we hear you guys saying, you know, I lost my job. God must be punishing me. You're running the same mental map as the people were around Jesus. And Jesus said twice, no, no. He said it twice. We know that bad things don't only happen to bad people. Am I right? We know that. Just tell your neighbor, bad things don't only happen to bad people. Quickly, tell them. And tell them, and you're not so bad yourself. Bad things happen to people who are following Jesus. So let's pause and consider Jesus and the problem of pain that we represented here. You see, the amazing thing is that by this point in Jesus' ministry, people are already looking to Jesus to give them the answers to the questions that they don't have the answers for. So these tragedies happen and people are drawn to Jesus because they've got this feeling like Jesus will have the answer. And I want to say to you this morning, I'm going to come back to it at the end of the message, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the, all of life's biggest questions are going to be answered in Jesus. Upstairs now, as our children are in pulse, any kid who puts their hand up to any question that gets answered and they answer Jesus, they're going to be right 99% of the time, right? You know, whatever the teacher asks, if they just say Jesus, the answer's right. Well, it's true for adults as well. Jesus is the answer to the questions that we have. And so here we see people asking Jesus for their meaning because they can't get it themselves. 
brothers and sisters, knowing the one who knows all things, as we heard today in worship, and who walk, works out all things in accordance with the purpose of his will, which is what Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, is deeply comforting, even when we still don't understand. I don't have to understand this as long as I know the one who does understand it, and then I can trust him. And so this morning, although I'm going to be preaching about suffering, and I don't want to trivialize it in any way, I don't want to trivialize what you may have experienced, but I do want to say that the person who's the answer to every question and the person you need is Jesus. He is the answer. And so the people around Jesus here in Luke 13, they're considering these two horrific events, and the conclusion that they come to is that these people must have sinned in some way, and so this is the God's judgment of their sin. But Jesus said, this is not what happened here. And so I want to ask the question, where does suffering and pain come from in our lives? And so that's going to be the big part of our message today. So point number two, what are the sources of suffering in our lives? I, I hope you are you're leaning in because I believe that God wants to give you a grid that will be helpful. Theologically, as summary, I just want to tell you where we're going. Theologically, in summary, there are three sources for suffering and pain in our lives. One, our, un, our own unwise sinful actions and the consequences. Two, the age that we live in. And three, God's loving fathering of us. Let's take time to go into each one of those one at a time. Firstly, what are the sources of pain and suffering? Firstly, our own unwise and sinful actions and the consequences of those actions can result in pain and suffering in our own life. Don't we know this? Sometimes the pain and suffering that you're experiencing is simply the result of your own foolishness. I'm really sorry to tell you that. But sometimes we're just dumb. And, and the things we do, we're dumb or we're ungodly. And the things that we do, we heard it from the passage that Rob read in Jeremiah, we will serve the Lord, we will do this thing, and then we don't do it. Sometimes the things that we do are the things that are actually causing the pain in our lives. And in such circumstances, it would be really unhelpful. If the thing that you're doing is the thing that's causing the pain, it would be unwise to have a crisis of faith. I just don't know why God's allowing this to happen to me. And God's like going, I don't know what to do with this one. Because they just need to stop. And you're going, but God, why did this happen? And God's like, I'm not even going to talk to you because it's so obvious. And everyone around you can see it, but you can't see it. Brothers and sisters, sometimes you just need to stop what you're doing. You need to change what you're doing. It's also totally unwise, if you're actually the problem, to shout at the devil. Well, I'm going to do some spiritual warfare. No, you just need to stop what you're doing. Sometimes it's just you. And the Bible teaches us, all of us, the Bible, that we are to take responsibility for our own actions. And all of us have known times, including me, where actually the most spiritual thing we can do is stop, repent, receive God's forgiveness, and then walk free, walk a different way, live differently. You guys are very quiet. This is not complicated, is it? Many times you just need to change your behavior, and that's the source of the pain in your life. In our passage, we actually have a situation where Jesus points to unfaithful Israel, he, he tells a parable about the fig tree, verses 6 to 9 in Luke 13. 
And this is an example of people who need to stop what they're doing and they need to change what they're doing. You see, the fig tree represents, the fig tree and the vineyard always represents Israel in the Old Testament. And so this, Jesus tells this parable, he's just told them to repent. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But then he tells them this parable and he says, this fig tree's been here for three years and there's been no fruit. What does that three years remind you of as Jesus is walking to Jerusalem? Jesus has been on earth for three years and the very people he's come to can't see it. And so he's talking to them. He's saying, you've still got unbelief in your life. And, and then there's this thing that, okay, there's just going to be one more chance for them to produce fruit. And so Jesus is thinking, well, between my, my, uh, my death and their death, there's one more chance for those people to repent. Brothers and sisters, sometimes Jesus was warning the Jews here to stop their unbelief, to stop, to repent, and to believe. God was giving them one more chance. And sometimes the source of our pain is simply our own sinful actions and our unbelief. And I want to say to you, if that's the case, that's actually really good news for you. Because then you know what to do. You can stop what you're doing and you can turn to Jesus. And the amazing good news is that God says that if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's why Jesus died for you, so that you could be forgiven of your sin. As we get to break bread later on, maybe you need to just confess some sin, and you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop blaming other people. I'm going to stop blaming the devil. I'm, I'm going to stop even uh, riling against you, God, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to say, Lord, would you forgive me, and I'm going to walk differently from that point. So that's the first category of pain in our lives. The second category is the biggest one that we're going to talk about. And so there's a few subpoints under this category. Sometimes the, the pain in our lives is just simply from the age that we live in. What do I mean by that? I honestly believe that the majority of suffering, when you're trying to work out what is happening here, the majority of suffering in our lives is because of the age that we live in. You see, we're living in this in-between age between Jesus having come and him coming again. And in that age, there are a number of things that are true. Let's look at the number of things that are true. Firstly, in this age between Jesus coming and he's coming again, there are sinful actions of others that can impact us. Am I right? Amen? People's actions can impact us. And so this happens in this passage when Pilate wickedly murdered people while they were bringing their offerings at the temple in verses 1 and 2. It was the wicked actions of a sinful man that impacted other people. Amen? Jesus said it was not their own sin that caused this to happen. If anything, Jesus doesn't tell us, but if anything, it was Pilate's sin that caused these people to suffer. And so in this age, the sinful actions of other people impact innocent third parties. And we know this, don't we? We know this from our own lives. We know this from the news. When you get hijacked by someone, when you get robbed by someone, when someone causes you relational hurt, when someone is unfaithful to you, if someone were to rape or abuse you, it's the sin of that other person that's impacting your life. And so suffering and pain can come into your life. And so that's the first in this age, there will always be sinful people. And the actions of people impact other people. 
Secondly, in this age, we're living in an age where the systems of the world and the natural order have been affected by the curse. And what that means is that governments are not perfect. They don't exist for the people. They exist for position and power and wealth. And, and, and there isn't always fairness. Life is not fair. You know, we tell our kids, be fair. But life's not fair, is it? And so the systems of this world, you've got inequality, you've got injustice, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually embedded in the systems of our world. <coughs> when the wall or the tower of, of the, pool, uh, the pool of Siloam fell on these 18 people, Jesus didn't say it was because they sinned. He said the opposite. This wasn't the judgment of God on them. Jesus said, no, that's not what's happening. Jesus said it wasn't even the consequences of their, their lack of wisdom. You should never have gone to the pool of Siloam. Jesus didn't say that. It's just something that happened. It was just a tragedy that happened. And I think it was probably an earthquake in Jerusalem that caused this wall to fall on these 18 people. Maybe it was poor building quality due to human error, or maybe it was just a natural disaster. And brothers and sisters, sometimes the pain and suffering and the tragedy in people's lives, it's not directly the devil, it's not God's judgment, and it's not even us. Sometimes it is just the age that we're living in, and a world that is, according to Romans 8, reeling under the effects of their fall still today. And as I was thinking of these 18 people being crushed in Jerusalem, it was hard not to think of the 47,000 people who've lost their lives in Turkey and Syria in the past few weeks through massive earthquakes. And you can think, what happened in Turkey? What happened? God, why did this happen? Was it something all those 47,000 people did? I mean, can you think of 47,000 people and think they all did the same thing? I've heard some people say, well, maybe it's because they're Muslims. But do you think in the 47,000 people there were no Christians? Potentially. Could there possibly have been? Friends, can you see how we're trying to run mental maps and we're getting to wrong conclusions? Isn't a natural disaster like this best understood by just saying, this is the age we live in, where there's a fallen world that, according to Romans 8, is struggling. Groaning is actually the word that's used in Romans 8, under the effects of the curse. And because of that, sometimes natural disasters happen. Sometimes the pain and suffering in our lives is the result of sin of others, but sometimes it's just the result of the fallenness of the world, both its systems and the natural order as well. Thirdly, in this age, we really do have a genuine enemy. And so it would be unwise to give the devil too much attention, and it's unwise to give him too little. You should give him the appropriate attention that's in Scripture. And so the woman in verses 10 to 17 in our passage, for me, is an example of someone who is impacted. Their suffering, her 18 years being bent over, according to Jesus and Dr. Luke, was not because of any physical cause, but Jesus himself says she was bound by Satan. 
And Dr. Luke says she had a, a disabling spirit. And so sometimes what does happen in our lives is the result of our enemy. And if it is him, we should rebuke him. We should resist him. And we should proclaim freedom in Jesus' name. Amen? And we could have just preached on that passage and preached about the glorious freedom that we have as believers in Jesus under the authority of the name of Jesus. And I want to say to you, if there is any sin or suffering, if there is any uh, uh, physical impact on your life, we want to see you set free if that is a demonic influence. But not everything that happens in our life is the devil. Amen? Do you hear the balance? I love to see how Jesus set her free instantly after 18 years in one encounter with Jesus, with no fanfare, no smoke machines, no dun, 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 dun. just be free in Jesus' name. I want to say, although we have a genuine enemy, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? Amen. The fourth uh, subcategory of the age that we live in is that in this age, in this age, we have bodies that are mortal, bodies that are degenerating. Just look at me. You guys really didn't have breakfast or something. Like that was funny. I don't think you're mortal. I think you are dead this morning, huh? Brothers and sisters, death and disease is part of our human experience post the fall. In this age, you do get sick. Don't have a total crisis. Don't have an apoplexy the next time you have flu. Like, you, we do get sick. We do battle with disease. We do battle the scourges of things like cancer and HIV. In this age, all people will die. You know, even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, is he walking around? No, he, he died again. He died twice. And so I just want to say to you that if you get sick, don't double your trouble. Don't double your trouble. Rather, have a biblical perspective on this life, on death, and on eternal life. You see, death, according to the Bible, is not a termination. It's a transition from this life to eternal life. And all sickness will ultimately be healed at the return of Jesus. However, in this life, we shouldn't just accept, oh, well, he said that there's sin and sickness, there's, there's sickness and suffering, and so we, we should just sit back and, and, and just let it happen. No, no, no. In this age, we can and we should pray for healing. Amen. But we cannot take from God's hand that which he's not giving. I've prayed for people for healing, and sometimes they haven't been healed. And that's the Lord's will, not mine. And so we should pray for healing, but you can't take something that God's not giving because he's sovereign. And so we live in an age of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. So we can and we should ask like kids. Kids have got no problem asking for things. Well, we, we are the kids of our Father in heaven, and you can ask with faith. You can ask anything from your heavenly Father, but ultimately, when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, and not my will be done, but his will be done. 
your kingdom come and your will be done. So in summary, we've looked at firstly the category of pain in our lives is our own actions. The second category of pain in our lives is the age that we live in. And there are at least four subcategories in that category. And the last category is God's loving fathering of us. And this isn't a category that's in Luke 13. I'll have to ask Jesus about that, why, why he didn't just include this there. But for fullness on our topic, we do need to cover it. Because it is a potential source for pain and for difficulty in our lives that Christians really don't like. You don't get this on Christian calendars, on Christian bumper stickers or, or pencils. You just don't get this category because people don't like to believe it. But there is a potential source of pain in our lives or hardship in our lives that even though it's denied by many Christians and even churches, it is shot throughout Scripture. If you read Jeremiah, you must have had your ears closed if you missed this category for pain. The story of Scripture reveals that sometimes the hardship in our lives or the struggle or the delay is because of the loving hand of our Father. Sometimes what is happening is that our Father, as in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, our Father is testing us to see what's really in our heart. You see, sometimes, just like the people Rob referred to in Jeremiah, we say with our lips one thing, but we're going to do another thing. And God knows what's in our heart. So sometimes He puts us under pressure so that what's inside can come out, so that we can deal with it, we can repent, and we can follow Him more wholeheartedly. And if you want one passage of Scripture, which is the most helpful passage in all of Scripture, which is in the New Testament, it's Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to put it up now, but for time I won't be able to suggest Scripture. You see, according to Hebrews chapter 12, sometimes God disciplines us for our good. Say for our good. For our good. And so Hebrews 12 verse 5 says that if you are experiencing the, the discipline of God, you shouldn't regard it lightly. You, you, you shouldn't just disregard it. You should, you should consider it. Because, verse 6, God's discipline of us is actually a sign that we are His children. You see, I don't discipline your children and you never disciplined mine. Discipline is a sign that you're a parent. And so the writer to the Hebrews says that if you're being disciplined, it's actually a sign that you are one of the beloved children of the living God. Because God only disciplines those who are His. Verse 10 says, God's discipline is not punishment, but it's training. The, the nature of it is, is it's for our good. It's training, verse 10 says, to produce something in us. To produce godliness, holiness, for us to be like God. Verse 11 says that God's discipline of us is to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness, but it only grows in this context. However, I love how the Bible is so real. Verse 11 says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but what we like is the fruit that results from it. And lastly, from this passage, it says that the fruit of righteousness, the, the good result that God wants from discipline, is only for those who are trained by it. If you're a parent, have you ever had to give your child some discipline? Maybe you had to give them a smack, and they just shouted at you in anger. 
and you knew that that smack was worthless because they'd learned nothing. And then there's times where you discipline your child and they break down in tears and hug you harder than ever and they say, I'm so sorry. And you know they've, they've learned from it. They've been changed in an instant because of your loving discipline. Brothers and sisters, if you just rile against God when something is hard in your life, you're in danger of wasting that thing. And you receiving nothing from it. Discipline is only useful for those who are trained by it. Those who soften their hearts, open their ears, and say, Daddy, what are you saying to me? Those are the only people who grow in times of discipline. So what I've decided to do in my own life is when things happen, I ask God, Dad, is this you? So I've said there are three sources of pain. It could be my own stupidity. It could be the age that I'm living in, and there are those four categories under that. And it could be my heavenly Father. And uh, Hebrews 12 verse 7 in the NIV says, Endure hardship as discipline the Lord is treating you as a son. And so I start there. Dad, is this you? Because I want to be trained if it is my Father. If He is putting me through something that He wants to develop godliness in me. I ask him first, is it you? I don't first shout at the devil. I don't even first shout at myself. I ask my father if it's you. And then he will lead me to understand what's happening in a more fuller way. Sometimes it's just the age that we're living in. Sometimes it's our enemy and so we can rebuke him. Sometimes it's me and I must just stop it. But I start asking, Dad, is this you? And if you feel him saying yes, there there is something that I want to show you then I want to encourage you to open your ears, to soften your heart, and to repent. Because he is slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. You know, reading the book of Jeremiah, there have, it has been a long book if you've been reading Jeremiah, is that although God found repetitive, but surely the clear example from the book of Jeremiah is that although God was disciplining his people, his heart was calling them to repent the whole time. If you'll just turn to me, I'll forgive you of your sin because I'm aboundingly good. And so I want to ask you, I want to invite you that when you're going through difficult things to have a soft heart and to ask God to do a work in you. I said there were three things. The last thing from this passage is what I would call the more important question. You see, we, like, we think the most important question is knowing why. But Jesus gives a different answer to what the most important question is. Jesus actually says a strange thing. When the crowd come to him and they say, did this happen? Did their blood get mixed with their sacrifice because they were sinful? And did the tower fall on them because they were worse than others? Jesus says, no, it's not that. And then he says a strange thing. This is what he says, and he says it twice. He says, no, it wasn't that, and no, it wasn't that. And then he says exactly the same thing. I tell you, but unless you, say you, but unless you repent, you also will likewise perish. And, and sometimes Jesus says things that are a bit uncomfortable, aren't they? Like we heard from Mary last week. And so the people wanted to know, why did this happen? Why did this happen to the Galileans? Why did this happen to the people at the Pool of Siloam? But Jesus wanted them to ask a different question. Jesus wanted them to consider something else. He wanted them to think about their own lives. 
He wanted them to think of how short their lives were and to think, is there anything you need to repent of? Don't worry so much about what they might have needed to repent of, but what about you? That's essentially what Jesus is saying. I want to know about you. What about you this morning? You see, every time something happens like Turkey, a natural disaster, a suffering or difficulty that you witness in someone else's life, every time you go to a funeral, what you need to remember is that life is short. And that Ecclesiastes 8.8 says that you can be regular at virgin active, but you cannot change the day of your death. All people die, Ecclesiastes 7.2. And the, the story of Ecclesiastes 7.2 says it's the living that need to think about dying. Because when you're dead, you can't think anymore. And so the Bible says that all people die, and Hebrews 9.27 says exactly what happens after death. What happens after death is that we face the living God, the judge of the universe. And so what Jesus is essentially saying to these people, you're so worried about the people who had their blood mingled with their sacrifice. You're so worried about the people at the pool of Siloam. But what about you? You need to repent while you still can. And then he tells them the story of the fig tree. Can you see that? And he's urging them to still repent while they can. And so I want to say to you today, maybe you've got big questions about life and about suffering and about what's happened to you and what's happened to others. But Jesus would say to you, repent today. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you might say, well, I want to know why God's allowed suffering. And God would say to you, repent today. He doesn't even answer their question. He says, you need to repent today. Otherwise, the same will happen to you. I want to say to you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, there is no better day than today to put your faith in Jesus because you just don't know how many even more minutes you've got in this life. And if you're already a believer in Jesus, I would say that the application here is that we need to have soft hearts and we need to say, Jesus, I don't want my questions to be bigger than your question of me, which is, is my heart in the right place? And so I want to say to you today, even as we come to the communion table, why don't you make right with God today? Because you can. Because Jesus is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. He's the only way to have a right relationship with God the Father. There's a guy called Matthew Henry who said that you should live every day as if it's your last day. You should live every day open to God, ears open, heart surrendered, saying, Lord, help me, Jesus. So I want to bring this to a close and to ask, so what have we learned about our Savior this morning? The series is called Savior. What have we learned about Jesus? Well, what we've learned is that Jesus is the Lord of all. And that when the big questions of life come up, Jesus is the only answer. This is why the people came to Jesus, and this is why we can come to Jesus with our big questions. You might not know the reason for all the things that Jesus does or things that he doesn't do, but that's even more reason to come to him and to trust him. Come to him. Because God can and he does work all things in accordance with the purpose of his will. That's what it says in Ephesians 1 verse 11. And as we come to the communion table, I want you to remember this. Just have a look at this quote. This is what communion I'd love you to have in your mind as you take communion today. 
if God can use the greatest evil in history, the crucifixion of Jesus, for the greatest good in history, your salvation and mine, you can trust Him that He has a plan for your life. Amen? If God can take the most evil thing, the killing of God, if He can transform that into the greatest good, then do you believe that He can transform your pain too? I want to encourage us to come to the communion table with this awareness that as you hold those elements, you know that Jesus didn't just come to deal with our pain, but He entered our pain. I don't know what everyone who's sitting here is going through. I don't know what questions you've got, but I know that Jesus is the answer. And if He could do that for the cross, if He could transform the cross, the death of Jesus, the death of God into the good news that we celebrate on Good Friday, then He can transform your pain too. So why don't you stand? Let's come and get the elements of communion. And I just want to pray for you as we close. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we need to put ourselves into the story and think, I wonder who I am. And I think most people would be that group around Jesus who are trying to work out, why did this happen? And they came so far short of the real answer. I want to urge you to, the big questions that you've got, to just give them to Jesus right now. Even as you're holding the elements of communion, remember, if Jesus could transform the greatest act of evil into the greatest act of good, He can transform your pain too. And so why don't you just, just relinquish your questions? Why don't you listen to Jesus' question, which is, have you repented? Or are you resisting even my discipline in your life? Are you riling at the devil when maybe it's just you and you just need to stop? Maybe are you being troubled by, I can't believe that there's this sickness, but actually there is sickness in this life. I can't believe this thing happened, but sometimes there's things that happened. Or I can't believe this evil, but there is evil in this life. And even if it's the devil today, you can resist the devil, draw near to God, and he must flee from you. Just like this woman was freed instantaneously. Brothers and sisters, what you're holding in your hands is the hope for life. Jesus is the answer for every single question we've got. And so, Lord Jesus, we just stand before you in utter amazement, in awe and wonder. We say to you, we love you, and we thank you that you loved us first. Thank you, Lord, that holding these elements reminds us that you left heaven, you came to earth, you lived the perfect life we can't live, and then you died in our place for us, and so that you could give us your eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that this world is not everything, that death is not the victor. Lord, that death is not a termination, but simply a transition to eternal life with you forever in a new heaven and a new earth where you will say, behold, I make all things new, and there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more sadness, and no more death and we'll be with you forever. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your perspective on our pain, and I pray, Lord, believers, Lord, that you would minister to us today. 
And Lord, you'd make us robust believers that better understand the world and the lives that we live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you, as you take communion, just spend a few moments with Jesus. And we're going to close the meeting. And if you would value prayer, you want to talk some more, we would love to talk with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, there is no better day than today. Repent and believe, lest the same thing happen to you. Thank you, Jesus.